was good Christmas music. Amen? All right, take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Not really preaching a Christmas message this morning, although I guess some people would think it's a Christmas message. Uh, preaching on the, the uh, wise men that came to Jesus. And the reason why I say it's really not a Christmas message because it really isn't a part of the Christmas story. I know we, we take it and we put it in there. Um, and uh, uh, just so you know, <laughs> just so you know, they did not go to the manger, okay? Uh, these wise men were, were nowhere near that manger, uh, that night. This, this, this actually takes place later. We'll talk about that a little bit when we get into the message. But uh, it's, not, it's not really part of the Christmas story, but we think of it as that it's after Christmas now, so this is appropriate. <laughs> okay? So grab your Bibles. Let's all stand. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, allow them to look on with you if you would. Matthew chapter 2, first 12 verses. Beginning in verse 1 says, Now when Jesus was born... In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Israel and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. He demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of, of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, it's good to be in church this morning. It's good to see more faces this week than we saw last week. We, just, we thank you for what you have done for us and how that you have strengthened us through this trial as a church. We thank you, Lord, for a good holiday that you gave to us yesterday. And uh, Lord, as we look into your word uh, this morning we pray, we, we desperately need the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and minister it to hearts. Only you can do that. And uh, Lord, uh, I desperately need your help in order to preach this message. Lord, without you, I can do nothing. And particularly when it comes to preaching the Word of God, 
Uh, Lord, if you don't meet with us this morning, we've met in vain. So, Father, please not only meet with us, but speak to us. And as you speak to our hearts through your word and as you open our eyes to understanding, may we respond and say yes to you. Uh, have your will, have your way. We pray in our hearts this morning because of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus was the Messiah, and uh, uh, when, when Israel was looking for a Messiah, uh, Sam Gipp has made a, a comment that has really been become very controversial in Christian circles, and it really shouldn't be. But uh, he, said, he said, Jesus is not my Messiah, he's my Savior. And, and I know what he means by that, and I know what the Scripture talks about about that. The Messiah was coming to Israel. Okay, uh, Israel was looking for the Messiah, and and uh, Jesus is their Messiah. However, he came first uh, when he was born in Bethlehem. He revealed himself through the angels, and then the, those those people went to to the the manger. Those those shepherds that were in their fields watching their, their flocks by night. Those were those were those were Jewish shepherds. In the, in, in the area. But then he also revealed himself to Gentiles. And that's who these wise men were. These wise men were Gentiles. And there were three things that motivated these guys. Uh, first of all, if you look in verse 2, it says, speaking, uh, it's, it's the wise men speaking, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. That tells me three things. Number one, they had a desire for him. They wanted to know him. They wanted, to, they wanted more information. Secondly, they already had some limited knowledge of him. Uh, they, they evidently uh, had known something about the scriptures and, and put those things together about the star. And then thirdly, uh, they had a will to worship him. Uh, they, had a, they, they had a desire to know him, and they had a, a will to worship him. Now, in this, in this account, you've got basically three groups of people. You've got, uh, you've got Herod, you've got the chief priests and the scribes, and you've got, you've got the wise men. Three groups of people. Each one of those groups responded differently uh, to the to the the fact that Jesus uh, was in Bethlehem and that Jesus Christ was born, the first one is Herod, and as we go down through and you can look at the verses in, in, uh, later, but in verse three it says he was troubled. Now you know why he was troubled because he was jealous. Uh, he didn't want somebody else to come over and take his kingdom, and so he was bothered. Verse four. Uh, shows that he was curious, but his curiosity wasn't like the wise men's curiosity. Uh, he was, according to verse 8, you look down there, just read that with me if you would. He sent them, speaking of the wise men, to Bethlehem and, and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. He's lying through his teeth. Uh, he don't, he don't want to worship him. He wants to kill him. He wants to get rid of him. And we see that, that later on. And that's evidenced by his actions. But he's, uh, he's deceptive. He's dishonest. 
And then in, in verse 15, if you just drop down in the story, it says, and, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the, by the prophet saying, out of Egypt, uh, I have called my son. Uh, if you look up at verse, um, uh, verse, verse, where was it? Verse, verse 13, it says, And when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to, uh, to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And, and uh, Herod uh, got upset. Uh, verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof. So you can tell that his, his motives were not right. His motives were anything but pure. And he, he had an attitude of opposing the truth. Now, if, if you've ever witnessed before, you have witnessed to people just like Herod. Um, there are people that will ask questions, they will act like they might be interested, and then at some point, they'll begin to change their whole attitude. Actually, their attitude never did change. It was always that way. I remember talking to a guy one time, and, and, and he, was, he was very, very uh, cordial, very nice, very kind. And, and I mean, really, I thought, well, good, I'll have an opportunity to really get in a gospel witness with this guy. And as, as I asked him a question, and as soon as I said the Lord's name, I said, I said uh, if you were to die today, I says, are you absolutely positive that you go to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ? And as soon as I said, Lord Jesus Christ, his whole countenance changed, and he just got angry. And full of wrath, said, get out of here. I don't want to talk. I mean, just totally. He was Mr. Nice Guy one second, and he was Mr. Nasty Guy the next. And uh, uh, that's what Herod was. Herod, Herod had that kind of a spirit and that kind of an attitude and really did not have a desire to, uh, to believe on Christ. Then the, the second group is found in verses 4 through 6. And verse 4 says, And when they had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And that was Herod that, that gathered them. Verse 5 says, and, when they, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now, these, these gentlemen were, were very religious. They were also knowledgeable, but they weren't exact in their knowledge. Uh, in verse 6, they misquoted Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, and you can reference that later and see how the thing is misquoted. But uh, they, they put it in a different sense than what God put, put that verse. They refused to act upon the truth that they knew. Um, they knew, they had all this knowledge. They were telling Herod where he was to be born, and yet they made no movement. 
They, they did nothing about it themselves. They knew where he would be born, but he did, they did nothing. Uh, they, they, uh, where they were located, they were five miles from the Savior. That's it. Five miles. They could have easily made that trip, but they did not. The truth was simply facts to them. That's all it was. It was things that they knew. And nothing was personalized. And nothing was responded to. I have, I, one of the most frustrating things is to witness to someone and give them the gospel and say, now, do you believe that you're a sinner? And they look you right in the eye and they say, yeah, I really do. I believe I'm a sinner. Good. And do you believe that because the Bible says the wages of sin is death? If you got what you deserved, you deserve because of your sin. Because it's a sin against a holy, pure, and, and righteous God. Do you believe that you deserve to go to hell for all eternity? And, the, and I've had them look at me and say, yes, I believe that. Do you believe that Jesus came and died on the cross and died for your sin? That uh, your good works cannot save you. Uh, baptism can't take away one sin. Uh, going to church uh, can't take away one sin. Uh, your, your good can't outweigh the bad. That isn't how a person gets saved. It's not by works of righteousness, but what he has done for us when he died on the cross. And I've had him look right at me and say, I believe in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And then I say, do you believe that you asked him to save you right now, that he'd save you? Yes, I believe that. I really do. Would you like to trust Christ as Savior? No. Wow, that's frustrating. But that's what these guys were. They had all the, the knowledge. They knew what was going on. But uh, uh, they, they did not personally respond to and apply the truth to their hearts and lives. Um, can I tell you something? That's one of the biggest fears I have, and I've had it over the, all these years, for the children in our church that are brought up in good Christian homes and are, are uh, given the gospel when they come to Sunday school, when they come to junior church, and when they get in the teen class, and when they get in the adult class, and, and uh, uh, when, when, they, when they come to church on Sunday morning, when they come to church on Sunday night, when they come to church on Wednesday night, and when they're younger, they're, they're in the master clubs. They get all that knowledge, but knowledge alone isn't enough. They have to personalize it. Being born in a Christian home is not enough. They've got to personalize it. They've got to trust Christ as Savior. Um, it was exciting for me to see this last year. Uh, Justin Bouchard, he got saved in June. He got baptized shortly thereafter. Justin was raised in our church. He was raised in our church. He wasn't saved. He had made a profession, but he, he told me, he says, it just, you know, it wasn't real. It wasn't personal in his life. And in June of this last year, he trusted Christ as Savior. Now, I'm thankful that he did. I'm thankful that he did. But, uh, boy, I, I hate to see anyone go through that process just like these men did and then, then uh, uh, never really trust Christ as Savior. It's good to have knowledge. It's good to have understanding. But it's got to become personal. And then the, the last group, of course, is the wise men. And they, they took initiative. They responded to what they knew. They, they were looking for a star. 
that would be uh, connected with a, with a scepter because they knew that the star and the scepter would, would lead them to a king. Um, and and, be, and they, they believed that because of an of a, a Old Testament prophecy. Keep your finger here and go with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 24. Numbers 24. <laughs> and of all people, and I'm not going to go into the story, but of all people, Balaam is the guy that delivered this prophecy. Balaam was a mess, uh, which, uh, which should give all the rest of us hope that God can even use us. Amen. But uh, Numbers 24 and verse, verse uh, 17, 24, 17, he said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter. And a scepter is the is uh, instrument of a king. Shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Uh, they were obviously, evidently uh, familiar with those things. And they, they, uh, they knew those things, and they responded to them. They came with a desire, and it was a desire to, to honor Christ. Look in verse 11. It says, And when they, when they were come into the house, they, were, they uh, saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's interesting. This is, this is the verse that shows you that they were not a part of the manger scene. They were not a part of the original Christmas story. And it's simply because it says two things, really. Number one, says they came to a house. So after they left the manger, they evidently went and stayed in a house for some time. Personally, I think this, this could have been as long as a year after the birth of Jesus Christ. And um, it says that they came to a house and they saw the young child. They didn't see a babe. They saw a young child, not a baby. And so it's, it's, uh, it's obvious that uh, this is a different time frame. But there is something that's really interesting uh, that, that uh, I, I caught in the scriptures. Verse 11, it says, uh, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Young child comes first. Mary comes second. Go down to um, go down to verse twenty. I'm sorry, verse fourteen. Verse fourteen. It says, "When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed unto Egypt." Again, the young child first, the mother second. Down to verse twenty. Verse 20 says, uh, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of, of Israel, for they, were, they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And then you go down to verse 21. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Every time the two are mentioned, it's never the, his mother and the young child, the mother and the young child, is always the young child and the mother. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the one to be worshipped, not mom. And when they came in to worship, they didn't worship the family, okay? These, these men worshipped Christ. They worshipped uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they did so, 
they, uh, they came with gifts. And their gifts were indicative of the offices that Jesus Christ would hold. Um, verse 11, verse 11 says, um, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now we know this. We know that there was at least two wise men. Uh, people say, no, there were three. Well, the, the reason why people say that, I think, is because there were three gifts. But that doesn't mean that there were three wise men. There was at least two, and there might have been three. There might have been even more than that. We just don't know. But what they gave him was very significant because they gave him gold, and they gave him frankincense, and they gave him myrrh. Gold is, is significant of a king, of a crown. And, of course, Jesus Christ will one day be king of kings and lord of lords, and he'll take that office. The second one is frankincense, and that points to his office as a priest. Uh, the the uh, in, frankincense and incense was offered at the altar of incense uh, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And then the last one is myrrh, and myrrh points to the fact that he was a prophet. He was coming to suffer, and he was coming to die for the sins of the whole world. Uh, it's interesting, in the life of Christ, myrrh shows up in the beginning of his life, and myrrh shows up at the end of his life. The uh, Bible talks about the fact that there was wine mingled with myrrh that was given to Jesus Christ on the cross as, as he died for our sins. He did not take it, but it was offered to him. We, we often think of these, these uh, wise men uh, as kings, uh, men of, uh, of position. Some say they were scientists. Some say they were philosophers. Now, there's a reason for that. Keep your finger here and go with me into Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41 is the first mention of the term wise men. Genesis 41, and look with me down in verse 8. It says, it, it came to pass in the morning that uh, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. This is Pharaoh. And all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told, him, told them his dream, and there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. So uh, folks just assume that there's a good possibility that they were that type of people. But it's something I, I never thought of before. I never, I never saw it before. But as I was, I was studying this passage, it, it, it over and over and over again calls these men wise men. And I got to thinking, well, who is it that is calling these men that came to Jesus, wise men. You know who it was? It was the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit said in the narrative that these men were wise men. Uh, this, you know, this is just simply a, a description of their character and a description of their desire that they had to know God. And in verses 1 through 10, uh, they're the only ones who truly were wise in the whole story because they were the ones 
who came to Jesus. They were the ones who, who finally uh, bowed down and worshipped him, found him. Their experience and their, their response shows us how to follow the will of God and how to find the will of God in our lives. It's three real simple, simple points in this story that I think will be a help to you. Uh, how do you find the will of God? Well, you find it the way the wise men did. Number one, they, had, they, they followed the light that they had. Uh, I believe this, and I believe this with all my heart. If any person, any place, anywhere, you know, you, whenever you witness to folks, oftentimes you hear, hear the, you know, the, the question, I know I asked it, what about, the, what about the native in some far bush somewhere? Bottom line is this, if people will follow the light that they have, and they might have very limited light, but every man's got light. If they'll follow the light that they have, uh, God will get them to the right place and get them to the right destination. They, they uh, knew of a king of the Jews, and they knew of a star. And when they saw the star, they followed it. Um, Ever thought about this? Because I've had I've had folks over the years ask me about the will of God and how do I know what the will of God is in my life for this and uh, how do I know that God uh, what God's will is uh, for my life in this area of my life? Why in the world should God reveal to you His will in those areas if you're not following God already? with the light that he's already given you, or in the areas that he's already told you about. Uh, if you refuse to act upon what you already know, why should he give you more information? Because you're already not acting upon what you know. And you go through the, the, the Bible, and I'm not going to, we're not going to look at the verses, I'm just going to give it to you, and uh, you, can, you can look it up for yourself if you'd like. But there's certain things that the Bible says is definitely the will of God for every person. Every, every person that is in here it is the will of God that you be saved. If you're not saved this morning, if you don't know for sure that your sins are all forgiven and that you're on your way to heaven, if you don't have that confidence of eternal salvation, God's will for you before anything else is to get that settled and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And if you are saved, then it's to be a witness. The uh, Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but all, that all should come to repentance. If God's not willing that any should perish, then I need to be a witness everywhere I go. The second thing that is God's will, for again, for every person in here, is to be controlled by the Word of God and be controlled by the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 5 speaks of the Spirit of God, and, and uh, Colossians talks about the fact that uh, the Word of God should dwell in us richly. And those two things working together, it's always the will of God, that we follow the will of God, and we fo follow the will of God in the Word, and we follow the will of God according to the Spirit of God. Third thing, uh, it's the will of God to love God and surrender to do what pleases him. It's always God's will to please him. The Bible says that we were created for his pleasure. Well, if we're created for his pleasure, then it's always God's will for us to please God. And so it's God's will for us to surrender to him and do what pleases him. The fourth thing that is always God's will 
to live a holy life. Uh, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Sanctification just is a great big word that means to be separate, to be holy, to be different, to be distinct. And, and the Bible says that it is God's will for every person who has trusted him as Savior to, to be holy in your living. Um, it's, it's not enough to just have a desire to do that which is right for God. We need to have a life that's separated from the world. We need to have a life that's separated from the flesh that uh, does not acknowledge uh, the, the ways of the devil. And uh, we need to be separate and different in our, in our life. And that, again, that's God's will. The fifth thing is it's God's will for us to obey authority. God's put authorities in our lives. He's put governmental authorities in our lives. He's put, put uh, authorities in our lives in work. Uh, he's put authorities in our lives in home. He's put authorities in our lives all over the place. And it's God's will that we follow our authority. Now, I realize where the authority uh, contradicts the word of God. You always go to the higher authority and you obey him. Uh, but, but it is God's will, and God makes it very, very plain and very, very clear throughout the word of God that we're to obey the authorities that he's put over us. And then the last one is it's God's will always to be thankful, always, <laughs> no matter what you're going through. Uh, it's, it tells us over in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's always the will of God to, to do that, uh, which, uh, uh, and to be thankful for that which God has given to us and where God has placed us in life. Um, you know, I hope... And I know I'm, I'm talking to a bunch of folks that, that uh, recently had COVID. I hope that during the time when maybe you were the sickest, you stopped and you thought about what you were thankful for. Uh, and I know it was, it, was, it was nasty. It was. Uh, and it was an up and down thing. And uh, it's, 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 you know, left, I feel like it's left some shrapnel in my knee is what I feel like. Uh, but... Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was not a good experience, but even during the bad experiences, you have things to be thankful for. And number one is you got a God you can talk to, that you can got a God that can get you through it and give you the strength to do so. Uh, they, they followed the, the light that they had. They followed that star. Uh, look down, I want you to look at verse 2. In verse 2 it says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Then drop down to verse 9. It says, When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, so evidently there was a period of time there when the star was gone, because it went before them. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They followed it to Jerusalem. And then when they left Jerusalem, they followed it. And the Bible says that it went before them. Well, if it went before them, then it went beyond their, their sight, 
Because then later on, it says uh, they stood, uh, they went before him, and then it says it, it stood over where the young child was. And uh, uh, it, 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 it says that when they saw the star again, so they saw it, they went, to, they went to Jerusalem, then they followed it after that, then it went before them. When it went before them, they didn't see it. And then as they got closer to where they were going, they saw the star again, and they saw exactly where it was. In verse 10, it says, it says uh, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So obviously they had lost sight of it, and then they found it again. You know, when the, when the, when the light when the, when the light disappears for a period of time in your life, and there are dark times in life. Let me just say that there are dark times. There are times when... I've talked to many of you about this. You've, you, you, you say, you know what? This, this last two weeks, I have... I, now, preacher, I've been reading my Bible and I've been praying. I'm getting nothing. Now, that isn't because necessarily because you're wicked. <laughs> It probably has nothing to do with that. You know what God's doing? He's removing the light for a little while. Just see what you do. Will you keep going in the direction that he started heading you in the first place, or will you take a detour? These guys could have taken a detour. They didn't. They didn't. They, they followed the light, and then when the light went ahead, they just kept going in the same direction that they were going. They didn't deviate a bit. And then they saw the light again. You know what this is? This is the the um, this is the the principle. I've taught this over the years. The principle of hope, no hope, new hope. And and you find this pattern all the way through Scripture, where God gives His people something, and they put their trust and they put their faith in it. They look forward to it, and then it looks like the light goes out. It looks like. This is never going to happen. And the hope just seems to be sucked right out of the situation. If they stay faithful, then what God does next is he gives them new hope. And, and that thing that he had promised them way back here uh, becomes fulfilled. When they first saw the star, they had hope. Then the star wasn't seen because it went before them. There was no hope. Then it says they saw the star again, and there was new hope, and it says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They wouldn't have done that had they taken a detour. They wouldn't have done that if they veered off the course. You know, there are times when God's going to give you light, and then it just seems like the blessings quit, the light goes out, uh, things just seem to change. Listen, don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light because there's more light coming if you just stick with it. I have watched this. I've, I've watched this in my own life. I've watched this in the, uh, in, in the, in the lives of other people. And uh, I, I have, I've seen that people that have quit in the darkness just before God's getting ready to give them a huge blessing. And if they had just stuck with the stuff, they would have had that new hope over here at the end, and they would have rejoiced 
with exceeding great joy. Well, that's exactly what those, what those uh, uh, wise men did. And uh, they, they, did, they, they responded uh, the way that they should have because they followed the light that they had. When the light went out, went out they continued in the same direction. And then uh, they saw the light and they rejoiced. And then the second thing about following, getting God's will is that they, they confirmed their actions and direction with the word of God. If you look down in verse 4, it says, When they gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Thou, thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So uh, uh, what, what they did was they took what they had in Scripture and they put it together. In fact, they, they had already uh, responded to some information that they had about a star, and they followed the star all the way to Jerusalem. So they, they confirmed their actions and they confirmed their direction with the word of God. Uh, God will never, ever, ever lead you contrary to this book. He never will. And then the third thing is they obeyed without question. I mean, they just did it. They did what they knew they were supposed to do. It says, uh, and when they had, had come to Christ, they left another way. You know what that is? That's God uh, fulfilling his will in your life and changing your life and causing you to go in a different, different way in a different direction. Uh, God's done that to me over and over and over again. I've watched God do that with, with many of you folks over and over and over again. The bottom line is, is what kind of an attitude do you have toward the Savior? You know, are, first of all, are you saved? Do you know for sure? That if you die today, that you go to heaven. It is so important to get that issue settled. And then secondly, are, are you doing the will of God you know? You know you know what the will of God is for all people. Well, are you doing that? If you're doing that, then God will reveal other things to you. But you need to be doing the will of God that you know. And then thirdly, where are you? Where are you? All of us are in one of three places. We're either at hope, or we're at no hope, or we're at new hope. And by the way, that doesn't just happen once, okay? That happens over and over and over and over and over again. You know, uh, God made a promise to Abraham and said, listen, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son, it's, and, and, and uh, nations are going to be blessed, Genesis chapter 12. Well, he got up in years, and there was no child. And uh, so from his standpoint, he said, man, there's no hope. The dumbest thing you can do when the light goes out for a short period of time is to grab the bull by the horns and come up with your own solution. That's stupid. <laughs> and I've done it. I know why it's stupid, because I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, you know. Um, but uh, uh, that was what he did. He went into Hagar and had Ishmael. And the truth of the matter is, from Ishmael came the Arab nations, and they've been giving Israel fits ever since. Why? 
because he wasn't patient and didn't just wait for God. And did God give him new hope? Yeah, gave him Isaac. Gave him Isaac. In his old age when he should not, he, he nor his wife should have had a baby physically, but God did a miracle there and, uh, and, and gave him a blessing. Uh, you're going to be in one of those three places. Boy, if you're, particularly if you're in the lights out stage, okay, don't change direction. Stay faithful and, and God will give you a blessing. And then the, the last thing is, are you, are you obedient to and taking direction from God's word in your life? And are you doing it the way these guys did it? Understand, these are men of renown. These weren't, you know, th these weren't just a bunch of rummies from another country. These were are men that had position and had authority and had great respect. And here they are in Bethlehem, in a house, with extremely expensive gifts that, that really cost them something to give. And they're down on their knees, and they're worshiping a baby, you know, a young child at that point, not a, not a babe, but a young child. And they're worshiping this child. You know what that takes? That takes an awful lot of humility. Uh, the, the thing that, that I, have, I have seen in my own life, I've seen it in the lives of others, I've just seen it in the Christian life, period, over and over again, is it is absolutely essential to have a humble and a meek spirit. You have a humble, meek spirit. God can take you and use you. And you, you, know, you know where that really starts? That starts at salvation. The night I, I was witness to, I had to meekly say, I'm wrong and God is right. I had to meekly and humbly say, I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell for all eternity. Boy, I didn't like that. And I'll be honest, I don't ever enjoy telling people that. I didn't like thinking about it from, about myself. And, and I, I, I don't enjoy telling other people that. But it's true. <laughs> it's just true. What kind of an attitude, what kind of a spirit toward do you have toward God and toward his will in your life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And just a moment, we're going to give an invitation and allow you to personalize what you've heard and respond if God's speaking to your heart this morning. But I, want to, I just want to ask you a question, and the question is a simple one. Do you know for sure if you die today, you go to heaven? Are your sins forgiven? Do you, know, do you have confidence that if you were to be struck dead today, uh, that, that you go to heaven to be with the Lord because your sins are forgiven and are under the blood of Christ. If you know that for sure because you've trusted him and him alone as Savior, I wonder if you just, just with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand as a, as a testimony? Say, I know for sure I'm saved because I've trusted him as Savior. All right? Let you put your hands down. Is there anyone that would be just as honest and say, I don't know that for sure? And, and uh, here's my hand. Would you just pray for me? I won't, I won't point you out. I wouldn't embarrass you for the world, but I'd love to pray for you. Is there anyone like that? Say, Pastor, here's my hand. I'm not sure about that thing. Pray for me. Okay, you're here this morning, and, and you're saved. And God has spoken to you about something. You know, I, I, I love how the Holy Spirit...
takes a message and takes sometimes obscure points and picks them out and uses them on my heart. And I've seen them use it on my heart. I've seen them use it on the hearts of others. But God's spoken to your heart about some, something that God made you aware of. You need to take care of it. And you just raise your hand and just say, pray for me that I do right, that I'll obey the Lord, that I'll do what God wants me to do in that particular area. All right, thank you. See that hand? I see that hand? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for being so gracious to us. Thank you that even when the star uh, goes out of sight and the light is no longer visible, if we'll just hang in there and we'll just trust you and have faith, uh, you'll give us new hope. You'll give us a cause for rejoicing. Uh, Lord, I've, I've watched you do it. I've watched it too in my own life over and over again. I thank you so much for those times. And all that does is just renew and strengthen the confidence that we can have in our God. Lord, uh, there's some folks that raised their hands, said that uh, you've spoken to them about some things. You pointed out some things. I pray, Lord, that, that during this invitation that they would surrender those things to you, whatever they might be, and maybe there's someone else that didn't even raise their hand. God, just be gracious to them and uh, work on their hearts. Father, may we have a humble, surrendered, meek spirit before you so that we can serve you, so that we can please you. Help us to be like these wise men. We ask God you would work in this invitation. Please have your will and have your way in each and every one of our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all